choir just beautifully rendered our Hebrew scripture for this day and for the last several weeks. I'd invite you to say it with me. What does the Lord require of you but to what? Do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Let's pray together. May spirits speak, your spirit, our spirit, O God, that we might be enlivened to be more fully the women and men, the boys and girls, the youth that you're calling us to be even this day. Speak beyond a preacher, even beyond a scripture. Speak spirit, talk to our spirits, that we might come alive again to your glory now and always through Christ. Amen. An English woman was uh, out for a day of shopping. She had planned her day rather well, in fact, had even packed a newspaper and a pack of cookies in her purse for midday when she would stop for tea. She went to a tea shop and was sat at a table for two. But over the next few minutes, the shop became busy, and so another person occupied the seat across the table from her, a Jamaican man. She took out her paper and began to read. As she read, she sort of absentmindedly reached down into the package of cookies on the table and took one of them and ate. But a moment later, she noticed that that the Jamaican man reached into the same package of cookies and took out one and ate it himself. What in the world, she thought. She went on with her reading, and she reached in later to pull out another cookie, which, by the way, Tony Doherty's corrected me and said the word would be biscuit. <laughs> Took another cookie and ate it, and a few minutes later, he, in turn, pulled out a cookie and ate. She put down her newspaper and looked at him rather indignantly, as if to say, do you mind? And in response, he smiled at her, took out the last cookie, broke it in half, and offered it to her. She put her newspaper in her purse and stood up with a huff, stood up with a huff and walked out the door. As she made her way to the bus stop, I wonder how she felt when she reached into her purse to get some coins only to find her package of cookies in her purse unopened. Which brings me to my question today. Whose cookies are you eating? By which I mean, what is it that you and I presume are ours by right of our birth, our exceptionalism, by our laws, by our traditions? What is it that you and I presume is ours that in fact belong to someone else? And what do our presumptions do to our assumptions about how we should act and react to those who are on the other side of the table? In fact, what might it say to us about what we perceive as people who are being rude or pushy or demanding or even offensive, perhaps breaking a law or robbing or maybe even something that might be categorized as terrorism, might it actually 
be a desperate form of someone crying out for justice. The first task of justice is to recognize all of those times and occasions when we are eating other people's cookies. There are, of course, different ways to talk about justice. Someone wrote a book, in fact, called Whose Justice, Which Rationality? Talked about all the different ways, culturally, traditionally, historically, we've used the word justice. This week I heard British Prime Minister David Cameron use the word justice like this. ISIS will get their justice. By which he meant they will get their punishment. They will be killed. That's a far different understanding of justice than we get from the Bible. Walter Brueggemann says that justice is sorting out what belongs to who and giving it back to them. Sorting out what belongs to whom and giving it back to them. And he would say, and I would agree, that the Bible and the life and story of Jesus are our greatest and best resource for understanding justice. The reality is that if we were to take the Bible and try with a pair of scissors to cut out every story, every reference to justice and standing up for the oppressed and the poor, the Bible would just be a shattered set of ribbons and a mangled mess of a book. And I would suggest to you and me that the same is true of the gospel. Anytime we try to extricate justice from the gospel, what we end up with is a mess. The reality is that God is seen from the very beginning of the Bible being an advocate for justice. The story of the Exodus, of Moses being called out of obscurity to rise up and be the representative of God on earth for the children of Israel who are being oppressed by Pharaoh is a story about justice. The story of Jesus from his birth narrative all the way into his resurrection and ascension is a story about him standing and coming and challenging the religious and political powers who, in the words of Jesus, lay heavy burdens upon people too difficult to bear, but won't even lift a finger to help them with it. That's why the religious leaders, the Pharisees, were always trying to catch him in a trap, always trying to ask questions about his authority because his very presence questioned their authority. Who represents God? Jesus said that we're made in God's image. And Jesus suggested that we are all equal in our many varieties that we come in. Black and white, young and old, Jew and Gentile, rich and poor, gay and straight. We're all equal in the eyes of God. That the kingdom of God is about this upside down gospel where those who are last then get to be first. Why? Because God is a God of justice. Justice isn't just an element of the gospel. It's not just an element of the gospel. It is the gospel. As I make that claim, there may be a voice in the back of your head. If you went to a church like the church Laura went to or I went to, that asked the question, why have I never heard about justice then before I came to this church? 
Why was it missing from the church that I grew up in? A missionary to a Spanish country was surprised one day to discover as as she began to learn the language that the Spanish Bible is full of all this talk of justicia, justice. She wondered, where is that in my Bible? She went back to her Bible, a King James Version Bible, and found that the word justice never appears in the New Testament. Because everywhere that justice should appear, it was translated with the word righteousness. Why would they do that? I would suggest to you that the answer probably has something to do with the person who was paying for the translation to happen. His name was King James I. Kings don't really like to talk about kingdoms, and kings really don't like to talk about justice. They're much more interested in righteousness, especially if it can be interpreted as doing the right thing, behaving, following the laws, being a good person. That's the kind of gospel that a king would want preached. And lest I put all the blame on a king, let me also say that I think churches and church leaders are also much more fond of talking about righteousness. People staying in line, doing the right thing, making their pledge to the 2015 budget. A good thing. But justice? Justice gets us in trouble. Justice makes us unpopular. Justice can have your church questioned. Justice can have you called a heretic. Justice is about things that will move us into arenas where we are called upon to give up some of our power, some of our strength, some of our might. The gospel will not allow us to separate justice from the rest of the gospel, the rest of the story of God's liberating ways. And so ever since the prophets, the church has needed new prophets, new messengers, new expressions of those who understand that our calling, our work, our hope, our wholeness, our joy, our life together is going to be found in finding out what belongs to whom. And giving it back to them. This moves the church beyond acts of charity. Charity is good as far as it goes. It was for me a stepping stone back in college when I learned about world hunger and began to give some charity, sponsoring a child every month so that that child could be. It, it's a, it's a A very important beginning. But it feels to me like that if charity becomes the end all, it becomes corrupt and controlling. Charity left by itself, as Augustine said, is no substitute for justice withheld. Charity keeps the control in our hands. It lets us feel good about ourselves, but it never changes the balance of power. And so the work of the faithful church, the church of Jesus Christ, is to name those places and situations where justice is absent and then to be, as one author put it, the ice axe, 
the ice axe that breaks through the frozen sea that's in us and enables us into new ways of thinking and being to flow through us, out and into the world to do justice. Not to just talk about justice. Not to admire justice. But to do justice. Jesus told a story about two brothers. One who said, Father, I will go into the field. But he didn't. The other who said no initially, but later caught the vision and went and did. Which of the two, he asked, did the will of the Father? The one who did it. What does the Lord require of you? But to do justice. Last Sunday morning, Carol was announcing to our youth about our Do Love Walk weekend. She was making sure the kids knew and making sure they knew they were invited to come and and be part. And just to make sure, she said, now, we all understand the context where this title came from, right? Do Love Walk. They looked at her rather blankly, so she wrote it on the board. Do Love Walk. Anyone know where that comes from? No responses. So she put a little line next to the words, do blank, love blank, walk blank. Silence. So she tried to give them a little clue. Next to do, she put the letter J. Do. And finally one of the kids said, do Jesus? Because you know in church the answer is always Jesus. So she taught them the verse, Micah chapter 6, verse 8. And in fact, later on, one of the youth used it during the announcements. And on Wednesday night, they were able to recite it back to her. But I thought Carol's observation afterwards was so profound. Carol noticed, though they don't know this verse by heart, they know it in their heart. They know that to be faithful to Jesus' call is to do justice. They know that to be faithful to each other is to love mercy. And that they know that to be pilgrims on this journey of faith is to walk humbly with God. So that when the words were given to them, it spoke something to them that they already knew to be true. I don't know about you, but I'd rather youth who can live the Bible rather than just quote the Bible. If God is justice, and if in Jesus Christ, the writer of 1 John was able to say, God is love. If God is justice, and if God is love, then justice can only be born of love. It comes out of our loving hearts. That heart that is already within us, as we heard from the Philippians passage, the God who is already at work within you wants to spring forth out of our love. This justice can't be harsh. It can't be forceful. It can't be about coercion or control or clout or logic or guilt. It emanates from love or it's not God's justice. Several years ago, our church made the decision to join a group in our city that was organized to do justice. 
It seemed like a match made in heaven. Here's a group organized to do justice who wants to fight the man with the strength of the community gathered together. We thought, well, this is just who we need to be. This is where we need to go. And so we joined in with them. But as we moved through the year, we realized it never quite felt right. We felt like the shepherd boy David putting on Saul's armor to go fight Goliath. It just pinched. It just weighed us down. So after a year, we quit. We said we didn't really buy into the tactics. But I think as I reflect on it this week, what was really going on there was that we recognize that justice has to be a child of love. Born out of love, or it's not God's justice. It's not who we are. Do justice. Love mercy. Walk humbly with God. I've confessed from this pulpit before a story from my ninth grade year when a group of my friends got together and decided that we would try to elect one of our friends to be the class king and at the same time elect a very unpopular girl from our class to be the class queen. On the night that the announcements were made, we were elated when John was named as the king and when Teresa, much to her and everyone else's surprise, was announced as the queen and John, in a moment of panic, ran from the room rather than dance with her. We had a sense of what it meant to do injustice, to hate mercy, to walk haughtily with ourselves. I thought of the story this week as I read or heard a variation on NBC News, perhaps you saw, about another class king and queen. This was in Grand Prairie, Texas, near Dallas. Naomi Martinez and Anahi Alvarez were on the homecoming court. They were both nominated. These two girls had been friends since seventh grade, and they had a third friend who'd been their friend for a long time. Her name is Lillian Skinner. Lillian wasn't a popular girl. She didn't wear the right clothes. She didn't say the right things. But Anahi and Naomi said she's one of the nicest girls in the world, the kind of person you could count on. Lillian's motto was, you don't look on the outside. In, on the outside. You look on the inside to know who a person is. But Lillian's innocence made her a target for some mean girls at Grand Prairie High School. These girls went to Lillian and told her, hey, you've been nominated to be on the homecoming court too. Lillian was ecstatic. Went and told all of her family the good news and later found out it was nothing but a cruel joke. And so Naomi and Anahi spoke to each other and they made a pact. They said, if by chance one of us wins the queen of our class. We're going to give our crown to Lillian. Lillian was on the field that Saturday night. She was there, she thought, just to take some pictures of her friends who were on the court. But when Anahi was announced as the homecoming queen and they placed the crown on her head, she turned from the king and walked over to Lillian 
took the crown off of her head and placed it on the head of her friend. She said, when people ask me, aren't you still the queen? She said, no, I'm not the queen. Lily's the queen. I just ran in her position. You see, the mean girls tried to take away something that belonged to her. Naomi and Anahi sorted out what belonged to whom and then gave it back to her. Put it right on her head. Right in front of God and everyone. Do justice. Love mercy. Walk humbly with God. Let's pray together. We ask today, O oh God, that you enlarge our hearts of love. That we might be more fully the people you're calling us to be. May your love to us and for us move through our bodies and be translated into this world into your good justice now and always. Through Jesus, justice made flesh, we pray. Amen. This morning, our hymn of response is printed in our order of service. It is an opportunity for you and me to think again about what it means to be followers of Christ and to make new commitments to who we're aspiring to be with the power of God in our life. It may be this morning that you feel led to come and join this church to be part of this work of love. We would welcome you. The doors are open. We stand and we sing our faith.
Do justice, love kindness, walk humbly with God. Do, love, walk has been our orienting call for the last three weeks at Highland as we have prepared for a weekend on missions and justice. But this is not a new conversation in the life of Highland. Our commitment to the biblical call to justice, mercy, and journeying with God has carried Highland throughout her history and empowered us to do gospel work for centuries. This work of love happens because of your faithful gifts to Highland. 10% of all monies that Highland receives go first to the work of missions and justice through our partnerships, ministries, and commitments, enabling lives to be transformed down the street and across the world. Because of you, we are a people shaped by the call to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. Thank you for giving to God through Highland's ongoing commitments to missions and justice. Pray with me, please. Dear Lord, as we come to this time when we give our tithes and offerings, we ask you to open our hearts, remind us of the gift that you have given us, and help us to open our hearts and our pocketbooks and give back what you have so freely given to us. Help us at every opportunity to recognize the times during the week that we have to give to others and to share your love with them. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 